Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The dust is finally starting to settle on the 2019 NFL draft, and we've got our thoughts on who picked the best. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. Money went off the board in a hurry. Bosa is off to the bay. Quinn and Williams landed the Jets. We need a new scriptwriter. And we'll look back at all the action from Nashville. We will, of course, be talking about Jamie Gillen, the Scottish Hammer, who was snapped up quickly as a free agent by the Cleveland Browns. And I'll be explaining how I won the NFL Scotland Pick 6 draft competition, even though the scoreboard disagreed with me. We'll then finish up as ever with some of the latest news items. However, to kick off this episode, we're delighted to have with us Houston Texan fan Ewan Desancois, who attended the draft live in Nashville. Welcome, Ewan. Thanks for joining us on the NFL Scotland podcast. We always ask our guests for the first time when they join us the same questions. So tell us a little bit, who are you? Um, so I'm from Edinburgh. Um, I uh, work in consumer goods, um, so no kind of sports affiliation. Um, I started watching American football and NFL Europe. So guys like Sean LaChapelle and these guys at Murrayfield winning the World Bowl. So I always had a kind of understanding for the game at an early age. And then about sort of 2012, I finally found my team. There was a friend of mine uh, who visited or, or was seconded rather to, to Houston, Texas and we ended up going to a game. Um, and we've never really looked back. We've been travelling to multiple games every year now. And uh, there was just something quite inherently kind of Scottish, I thought, about the Texas and uh, everything's bigger than Texas and the, the, the hospitality in which these guys showed us and took us, took us in as one of their own. So it's uh, starting to get in the blood now. So it's, uh, it's uh, an annual event for us now to go and watch this team. Well, I have to tell you, the best surname we've had on the podcast, <laughs> uh, Quoi, definitely Edinburgh and certainly not Glasgow because the Dissanquois obviously came from the east. Yeah. No, there's no doubt. What attracted you to the game initially, though? I think for for me it was it was perhaps a bit of disillusionment with Scottish football and and it was just something I think in terms of in in terms of the willingness to do more I think the league do such a great job um, whatever kind of thing you, you know you, that, that may spike your interest to sort of augment that product um, and it, 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 you know and the drafts a great example of that but they just and in terms of right down to the teams I mean particularly with the, the Texans I mean I couldn't you know thank them enough for some of the stuff they've done for us and you know they're a genuinely fan first sort of really kind of first class organisation just as I would assume all 30 other one teams are so um, yeah I got into the game I just I just enjoyed the tactical battle you know it's generally you know, 22 guys out there in a chess match um, that played it, played at lightning speed and it's, it's something when you start reading about and getting into the detail of, I just found it completely engrossing. So if you were to be blessed with the skills to play the game, which position would you play? So I, I, I used to think I'd want to play fullback, but I think as now the, the game's evolved, 22 personnel's kind of out the window. So I, I would say centre, I think, in terms of... I would obviously caveat with this, but I'd probably need to put on some serious muscle mass. But <laughs> but, uh, but but in terms of you're a team within a team, uh, you know, you're, you're five guys um, looking after, you know, the number one player on your team. Um, you're, you know, it's, you're the eyes, second eyes and ears of the quarterback setting up the line. Uh, making sure you, you make all the pre-snap reads, uh, making sure you know the, the guys either side of you are in the right place. So from that sort of leadership angle, I think it would be be a, a centre if I, if I was gifted with, with the physical attributes to do so. Well, I'm delighted the NFL Scotland podcast team have finally drafted a centre. Great. <laughs> so let's kick off episode 50, our half-centenary, Paul, um, by speaking to our guest, because, of course, you and you actually attended the NFL draft in Nashville. So first of all, what was that like? I mean, in, in terms of an event, 
it was you know something quite special. I think from the second you got to the airport, there was ambassadors welcoming you to the city, and it was quite obvious from from the second you got there that the city had just chosen to engross itself completely, close off downtown. Um, to be there, I, I think, and I mean, ultimately, what it boils down is effectively a football administration event. But there was live music, there was you know celebrity guests, there was people from the team, you know, ex players and, and current players there, um, and it just it was something that was you know really kind of a, a special event. It was it's effectively the number two um, event in the calendar of the NFL. So kind of working on the assumption that I maybe not get the chance to ever attend a Super Bowl, I thought you know we'll, we'll give this a go and. I, generally with no sense of kind of uh, hyperbole I was any kind of fan that is genuinely interested in the sort of subtle nuances of the game it's just it was a completely engrossing experience for me I think I spent about the best part of four and a half months reading about prospects wanting to know you know who the Texans might take and who other teams might take in the first round and generally could not recommend it enough yeah, it looked absolutely brilliant, the TV pictures. Uh, you touched on the band there. I thought one of the funniest things was Rich Eisen complaining about the volume of the band. You know, clearly fan first. They're there about entertaining the people there. They don't care about the network and whether they can hear or not, which I thought was brilliant. But the, the whole thing from start to finish is is a brilliant show. It really is. Every year I find myself going, how am I going to sit and watch some names being picked? The equivalent of the school lineup and everyone going, I choose you from a team. How am I going to sit and be entertained through that, especially at three o'clock in the morning? Yet every year I get hooked in on it and you can't stop until it's done. So watching it here on TV is brilliant. Being there live must have been absolutely superb. The set looked amazing. I mean, the whole setup looked great. And I'm rich, by the way. Turn it down if I'm broadcasting, please. Uh, it just looked great. They know how to do it. And, and I think the team's buy-in as well with this corporate. We knew what Arizona were going to do, but they wouldn't tip their hand. Some of the picks go in very quickly, but they're almost told, look, can you just leave it five, six, seven minutes? Because we want, you know, everything to happen. We need the interviews with Dion and, and, and all this kind of thing. It was interesting to watch. It was covered by two networks as well. It was interesting to watch. The comparison, I mean, I watched some of it live and then, I mean, the NFL themselves are clever. Take your own content, put it out on YouTube. So when I got up in the morning, round to the NFL draft, here it is. You can watch the slightly truncated version. That was fantastic. It was just great. And everybody looked like they were having a great time. And as Cameron says, how do you not be bored waiting for 32 names to come out? It almost defies belief, but it's brilliant. Yeah, I, th- I think for, for us, we were lucky enough that the, the Texans and them um, sent them an email just to tell them we were coming over and they gave us wristbands so we could go down in the fan zone at the front with a chance to kind of get on the stage. And um, it was it was great. I mean, 600,000 people over three days kind of showed you that, you know, it is at its heart of a basic event, but it just they just managed to create a show in the, the true way. You can see the job that probably, and he doesn't get much credit, but Roger Goodell, by moving the draft from city to city, um, from when it was in Chicago for two years to Philadelphia and now to Dallas. Um, each city is now trying to outdo the last and I think the event's only going to grow, particularly next year as it goes to Vegas. But that was luck. I mean, that was luck. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Music City in New York, where they have it, booked it out to yeah. somebody else. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a stroke of good fortune. But what I like about the NFL, and you're right, they take something like that, well, you don't want our business? Let's go and take it somewhere else. And they've just made it bigger and bigger and bigger. (laughs) And I think the thing is, I think they'll be able to take that event to cities where they wouldn't necessarily deliver a Super Bowl. Um, You know, as a sort of consolation prize almost. And I think it just looks absolutely incredible. And uh, we didn't do a Roger Goodell uh, Bob Agor 
<laughs> belter. <laughs> or yeah. belter. Because we thought we'd wait till after the draft. Cameron and I spoke after the last pod, waited. So we, we might actually launch that this week and then see if he gets any credit for the draft. Um, so obviously on the TV, Broadway itself looked like it would be a party town anyway. Do you think compared to the likes of different locations where this has been in New York, where it's indoors and, you know, that added something special to the whole experience? Were those pubs, could you get into them or were they completely stacked out or were you just quite focused on being out on the street? Um, So most of them were actually closed to the network. So um, ESPN or whatever it has had their own kind of bar and it was closed out for private parties. So you needed to, as the bouncer informed, you need to know, know somebody or be somebody to get in one of these places. So... Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it was. It, you could see the camera when it when it uh, when it came down the strip on the zip wire, and it just it it, it was uh, it was a sight to behold in terms of the amount of people that, that that were there. And I think the fact that it was on that street, uh, which I think is the number one or number two destination for sort of stag and Hindus in America, it had that feel to it. Um, and it was you know it was a city that it's quite hard to get its attention, but I think that event truly did that. Um, you know, in a big way, and I think it'll not be long before Nashville hold another, you know, major sporting event like that, just with the job that they did. And what was your personal highlight then from the whole? I mean, you were there pretty much for the whole thing. Uh, yeah, so we watched um, yeah rounds one and then two and three um, on the Thursday and Friday. Um, it, yeah, it was great. I think it was it was just kind of the the probably just kind of the raw emotion. I think of seeing some of these guys getting their life completely turned upside down. And, you know, every every waking moment to that point has been based on you know that day, and for that to happen for them, you know, you can see what how much it means to them, and how much it's going to change their life, and what an opportunity they've got, um, you know, to go and do something they love and, uh, as a profession. So, yeah, I think just just kind of seeing that and some of the content. I think we we sat and we, you know I WhatsApp you some videos over at the red carpet and watched the kind of players come in with their families and you know get their kind of press interviews as as they walked into this or before they went to the stage into the green room and then it was a contrast I think if you watch guys like Greedy Williams and um, and, and a couple of you know, like Cody Ford and these guys who were you know cemented top 20 picks mm. dropped to day two gave some teams really good value in terms of you know what they were able to add to their squad but you know there was just the contrast of people getting called back Drew Locke came back about four hours after he got picked on the second day to have his moment but you know again it was a nice touch just to you know to, to say you know welcome to the welcome to the league and uh and you know, day one starts here. So yeah, it was just a, a great, a great event overall. When you're there live at the event, are you hearing anything off the network or any of the chat that's going on, or is it is there anything happening audibly that you can kind of get a feel of what's going on? So there were a lot of rumours. So obviously, the big one was the the Josh Rosen trade, and it seemed as if at the time the the, the kind of the chatter between the fellow fans was that they just completely misplaced their hand. They'd probably lost leverage by waiting until day two. They're effectively given a second round pick plus another pick in, um, in exchange for a guy whose contract is relatively inexpensive. They paid his signing bonus, and you know it's a risk free option for Miami, and then. And then for for them to then turn that round in a sort of kind of underrated, undersized wide receiver, and Andy Isabella, I think is that necessarily an investment that they are going to look back on in five years' time? And did they get the best out of that one? Um, I generally don't know, but you know, as we said, time will tell. But yeah, there was big big rumours about the Rosen trade, and then I think Kyler Murray. I think if he hadn't have been um, you know touting himself as a baseball player, I think that would have got sewn up a lot earlier. I think that was the only thing that held that back. I mean, mm. in terms of his undersized, but again, the league continues to evolve every year, and that size aspect I think is just now underrated. Yeah, I mean, the surprise remains that Arizona went with another quarterback, but I think they almost forced themselves into the position because Cliff Kingsbury had said. That's exactly what he would do. I thought Josh Rosen handled the situation perfectly. You turn up, you do your job until you're sent 
somewhere else. It really is that simple. I thought his message to the Cardinals fans was yeah. pretty decent. And I'll tell you what, if you're going to get shipped anywhere, Miami's not the worst place in the world to go down to. Not the best team. And that, that's what fascinates me most about the draft. If you're walking in there knowing you're a top 10 player, but your whole career, or certainly the first four years, possibly five if the option, is dependent on the luck of the draw, mm. who likes you, who doesn't. Something, you know, a surprise. I mean, I'm, I'm sure nobody expected the Raiders to do what they did. And I'm fairly certain Josh Allen, who I think went seven, was not expecting to be in Jacksonville. He probably had three teams, you know, thinking, well, I could be living there, I could be living there. You've already, you know, you're doing your homework, you're reading out, you're looking at the coaching staff, you've done your visits. You're almost mentally set to where you're going and all of a sudden, bang, something happens and, you know, off you go. And, you know, look at the guy who was on... All or nothing last year, the flowing blonde locks for Michigan ends up at the Patriots. Yes. Traded up to get them. Yeah. Really and you just think, wow, now that might, if things ahead of you hadn't quite worked, you know, you might not have gone to there. And that's what fascinates me about that draft. It, it's just that the ability just not to know in your whole life, not only are you becoming a millionaire, but, you know, you're either being put into a situation where you're like, oh shit, anybody but them, or, you know, you could find yourself, you know, winding up at the, the Patriots, the world champions, and suddenly the guy you've been watching on telly, the most famous American football player in the world, Tom Brady, is, is a teammate of yours. Yeah, and uh, Chase uh, Winovich. Um, and there was, he was a guy that was getting a lot of hype because he's a bit of a character. So he's one of those names that you're watching, and again, like Greedy Williams, a lot of talk about him, therefore you naturally expect him to go high. He drops down, he drops down, and you think, oh, hang on a minute, someone's going to get in there and get a steal, and ultimately it was the Patriots. Like you say, Josh Allen, I think for him landing at somewhere like Jacksonville and the player that he is, he's going into an established defence that he can help boost them further. Going into somewhere like Oakland, where they're about to go through a major restructure and off to Vegas, there maybe is a lot more pressure for him to perform at the top level from year one, whereas now actually he can kind of learn from some of those guys that have been around him. They still need to maybe sort out some things in Jacksonville, but actually that's maybe a really good, and to your point, a better fit. So it worked out for the Jags, and it maybe well worked out for him. Time will tell, but... Um, you and what about the Texans? Obviously, you were there, so you got to see the Texans pick. What are your thoughts on yeah, what they went for? I won't tell you what, what came out of my mouth when I saw Philadelphia had uh, traded up above us to take Andre Dillard. I thought he was the guy to, to come in, and I thought he's potentially a, a tackle um, you know, in this league from day one. But I, as you said, you don't know. Three, you're talking you know, two to three years is an absolute minimum to try and get a, a, an understanding of of you know does you know is this guy got the talent and you know has he got mentally the capacity to play in the league and I think that's the biggest challenge. Um, Titus Howard in the first round, like he got a lot of buzz as, as the process went on. He's a small school guy, but I think that was inherent of our draft. If you look at small school guys, you know um, Brian Gain comes from the Bill Parcells tree, so he's all about height, weight, and speed, and that was evident with every pick. Lonnie Johnson in the second round, I, again mixed reports, and I'm you know it was brought in because we want to start trying to play a bit more press man because I think now in the passing league, I think if you play zone, you're you're susceptible to giving up you know two three hundred yards on a you know three three or four hundred yards on a Sunday. So um, I, I I think that that was good. I think uh, Max Sharpen uh, from Northern Illinois, I think he's a good prospect as well. I think he'll be a solid player when they kick him inside to guard eventually. Um, 
And as the draft went on, Charles Amena, who from from Texas as well, I think in terms of PFF now, I don't think that covers all your all your knowledge on a player, but certainly they they called out as the biggest disparity between their board and where the guy went. So he might come in and add a sort of element of rotation on the pass rush in the front seven. So again, he'll be good. And Xavier Crawford as well. Um, again, he's probably more of a nickel inside corner. So, but he ran a three, a four three. He's pro day. So again, it was height, weight, speed that can determine the draft. And then, actually, some of the guys you picked up. And then again, you think of the intrigue of the event. You, you've got this sort of second wave of the undrafted free agents. You've yeah. seen guys like Tony Romo, you know, Arian Foster, guys that have come in to to teams and completely unheralded out, even when they're after they finished their college program. Um, but yeah, I can come in and add things to you know add some serious pieces to teams. So. Um, yeah, it was mixed again. It, it was all based on upside and and uh, and what these guys could be in a couple of years' time. But certainly, I mean, I think what we described at the time as it could be the best of our draft we've had, or it'll be the worst. I don't think there's much in between because they're all they're all sort of uh, you know me- measurably athletic prospects. So uh, time will tell. And their needs as well. They're auxiliary players, and the th- fact that it's offensive line and things like that. But a defensive line is definitely an area that needs attention. So if these guys can come in and obviously the pressure's not going to be on them to play that much probably initially, but if they can turn out to take some of the potential forward, then it's an area of need. Yeah, I think I saw a comment and, and you know, I said Howie Roseman uh, is a continual, you know, how, a go-to guy if you want to learn how to be a GM and he traded up, you know, to, to take Dillard and, you know, I think that'll define Brian Gaines either, I think, in terms of in terms of if he's a successful general manager. I saw a quote, I think it was on NFL.com and they said, Dillard will not start for the Eagles, but he would have been a day one starter for the Texans. So a lot of these guys are going to be right into the fire from day one. Um, there'll be no hiding places. Um, but again, it's up to their it's up to their quarterback and the rest of the guys to set protections and and, and you know and read what the defense is giving you. So I think I mean it was it was potentially overhyped. I think because I mean sacks and pressures is a system thing, not just not just the five guys up front, but look much needed reinforcements. And I think corner was the bigger need. So. Mm. Um, and Tim, we just literally have no players there at the minute, so there's a couple, a couple of aging vets and um, and a couple of free agents on one-year deals. So we'll see how they turn out, but um, certainly it'll help, hopefully help fortify the roster. But as I said, time will tell. Indeed. So it's one of those interesting ones where you get that initial gut feel. There's the player that you want. If you get him, great. You don't get him, it leaves you just a little bit disappointed. But actually, like you say, it could very well turn out to be a really good draft. Paul, as a New Orleans Saints fan. Um, you've got obviously a massive number of needs across the whole team. I mean, it's a shambles, isn't it? It is. I mean, <laughs> la- last year you look at the draft and the Saints. I think, I mean, picks from four down didn't make the team, and at least two of those picks went elsewhere. The Saints picked decent players, but there was no space for them. Um, now we didn't have a lot of draft capital this year, but interestingly um, I mean, they needed a centre so they went with Eric McCoy, absolutely no problem with that Chauncey Gardner-Johnson out of Florida, uh, 105th overall in the 4th, is an interesting one because he fell, there's no doubt any player that falls, if you're the team getting him, you say, well no, he's got great upside, we like it, but there's always a reason why why people fall Uh, but I mean, he was projected as a potential first round and early second round pick um, now, what was interesting to me was Saquon Hampton, the safety from Rutgers, who the Saints got 177th. If you are to believe the Saints, the three players that they drafted were all within their top 70 on the board that they had. Now, to be able to get somebody at 177 and somebody at 104, or 105, I beg your pardon, but you consider them they were in your top 70 players, is a pretty smart business, if the Saints are to be believed. 
Um, so if that's the case, I'm quite happy with, with what the Saints have done. We didn't have a great deal of draft picks, but we needed centre. That certainly needed to be addressed. Safety is a continual problem for the Saints, particularly if you call Williams. Um, so I have no problem with, with how they've gone about it. Yeah, I have to say, from the Niners' point of view, obviously getting Nick Boza is great. I think, you know, delighted that Kyler Murray went to the Cardinals on the face of it because it meant that Nick Bosa fell to us. Uh, absolutely delighted with that. I thought really interesting as well, given the, his history that he had made some comments on social media, particularly about Colin Kaepernick, and he's got quite a conservative view in what is a very liberal state. I thought he dealt with it really well. He deleted it, came out, was asked about it, and immediately said, do you know what? I said some things, and he at the moment, I was young, I'm here to learn. I'm not a finished product as a man or as a player. And I thought, do you know, that's a really open and honest way to deal with something like that, you know? you got to obviously win your fans over right away, and I think he dealt with it right away. Now, you can parcel that away. You don't need to worry about it unless something comes along and rears its head. That was the only asterisk next to him, obviously, other than the injury thing. But the one thing that came out of it for me is that the Niners seem to love an injured player. Yes. And this is the thing again, and it's the same theme coming out that a lot of the guys that we picked up have suffered injuries. Then taking a punter in the fourth round, I've got no issue taking a punter in the draft. Absolutely not, it's definitely a need. Going in the fourth round on a punter, you really got to hope this guy's something particularly good. We've seen the importance of a punter. Um, and well, they'll get a lot of practice at San Francisco. <laughs> Well, absolutely. And let's be honest, we have needs pretty much everywhere, so anyone would be good. But, you know, to take Debu Samuel, who has got a lot of upside to him, feels to me maybe as someone that could initially do punt returns to allow Dante Pettis out of that role and perhaps protect some of those guys that are starting to ingrain themselves into the team. And then Jalen Hurd is a player who's a bit bigger. I think that's he's got the size that we don't have at wide receiver. So that's an interesting one for me. We definitely have receiver need, so that's a, a step up. Uh, Caden Smith at tight end is back up. They will be to George uh, Kettle, so that's absolutely fine. And then the other guys as well, uh, offensive tackle Justin School could be the best Justin S to play for the um, 49ers since Justin Smith, so you know I'm, I'm happy with that one. Uh, Tim Harris, I know zero about oh, I'm not even going to try and look. I looked up some of the other guys and what have you. Uh, Drake. Greenshaw, linebacker, decent as well out of Arkansas. So, all in all, pretty happy. Um, Nick Boza's the star there. And actually, defensively, we've got quite a unit coming together. And I think that that's something that's really important with D Ford, Bosa, Quan Alexander, we'll see. Um, but, you know, that's a, it's a pretty decent front seven um, on that defence. And that's an important place, especially in the division that we're in, when you've got Russell Wilson and Callum Murray, who are quarterbacks that are going to run around all over the place, and you've got the Rams, who've got Gurley in whatever state he's in, you need people that can stop at the line and get on top of these players. So it feels like it's the right area to focus on in the division that we're in. I think you've got to be happy with a guy like Debo Samuel. I think he could be you know, Garoppolo's go-to guy. Um, he, he was one of my favourite players coming out and a guy that I looked at a lot and I think he's got the potential he can play outside he can play inside and you know he's potentially an underrated pick just similar as I think Eric McCoy will be a, you know, a day one starter yeah. Max Hunger walks out the door and they've got a, a ready made replacement so I think in terms of the value I think what you saw in this draft mm. was was after the top 18-20 picks I think they were relatively you know, unanimous across most people's boards but you know from pretty much the second second half of the second round right till round seven 
it was a complete scattergun, I think, in terms of the teams and in terms of where they had people. Because like we said before, I think they're looking for cultural fit. You don't know what their interviews are going to be like, regardless if they've got production or athletic traits on the college level. So you saw that, I think, was more evident in this draft than it has been in a long time. But some, some great pickups there. And I think as, as the draft went on, there was just some great, great value to be had in the second and third round. You know, there are day one starters for a lot of teams. I think the rounds one to three are so important. You've got to hit one, you've got to hit two, you've got to hit three. These guys are going to be on the field unless you're a really strong team and you're drafting somebody for the following year or something like that. The, the surprises, and I think a few teams were surprised. I mean, Cleland Farrell going to Oakland. Now, you talked about character. They have come out and said it's about character, 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 and they think, the Raiders? Anyway, we'll see where that goes. <laughs> it, it, but if that's what they've decided to do... And, and we've mentioned it on pods before, going to Las Vegas and living in Las Vegas will not be without its temptations. Now, if you could imagine the Raiders of old uh, <laughs> being in Las Vegas, um, nothing would have ever got played or done. So the, the other shot was obviously Daniel Jones, which the New York press have gone crazy about. You had to feel for the guy. Yeah. His day, day it's not his fault. No. His, his day in the sun... He, and there was genuine within the, the the arena we were in. There was genuine laughter when the guy got picked. Now this is his you know defining moment of his life potentially. So I don't think he would have got to you know even even if he is the most strong-headed individual, there was no way he could have been able to block that out. Um, you know, and but we, he was walking on the red carpet, and there was a guy next to us from Old Miss, and he says he looks like Eli, he talks like Eli. We'll see if he plays like Eli. And he was coached by the same coach that's very close with the Mannings um, yeah. at Duke. And but again, it's it's a predominantly a basketball school. He's not really been tested, so it'll be interesting. But I think again, that will be uh, Dave Gettleman's defining moment. I think in that front office, because if that pick goes wrong, then um, just like they didn't take um, their, their friends over the road, and East Rutherford took the quarterback last year, they took a running back, and it's potentially setting them back ten years. Yeah. I'll, I'll, when when we go on to talk about. The previous draft, the 2017, was a couple of great lines about quarterbacks and, and how they went. Can I say, I think the pick of the, the unexpected pick of the top 10 for me was the Lions being able to get Thomas Hawkinson. Yeah. Who yeah. is an outstanding player. I think if there was any draft room I would have wanted to be in, it would have been the Lions because it would have been really? <laughs> he's available? Shit. <laughs> Bang. Get, get, get him inside. And he's a tremendous yeah. talent. Um, and, and I just, I'm amazed, well, not amazed because the Giants have gone where they wanted and the Raiders went. I mean, the Lions will have done their homework on him, but there's certain things you think, is it worth? Because he's never actually going to come down to us, which then just shows you the value if you have to do that homework because it's go- it's going to come down. Sometimes it does it does fall. I think it's a great pickup. Yeah, he was, he was one, again, I, I would touch upon him as a prospect that, you know, I thought we could transform any offence because yeah. he's... He's, he's he can run a, he, he can run you know a low a low four second forty dash down the seam he, can, he was an elite blocker at the line of scrimmage and Iowa just seemed to be churning out tight ends um, and just that system that Kurt Ferentz has got there in terms of in terms of the kind of pro style system so these guys are NFL ready that with the the raw athleticism that he showed I mean you know he might be another Eric Ebron you know yeah, or he might be a Gronkowski we'll see but um, it's uh, he he definitely looked like a great prospect I would one thing I would think about the Oakland picks so. If you think of you got three guys, prime draft capital, to take a box safety and a running back, two positions that are not known for durability, to take them in the first mm-hmm. round, I thought I saw it on the screen next day in ESPN. I thought if that was your first three picks, okay, high character guys, but 
I think Ferrell was a reach. Um, I think there was better players on his team that, that were p- t- taken, you know, shortly after him. So, you know, that might be the concern. They're obviously trying to trans- transform their culture there. Yeah, and it's an interesting one as well, having watched Mike Mayock for so long. And this was something they talked about on the network a lot. Um, but obviously he talks about a certain way that the mindset works in the draft room. Best available yeah. player, best available player, best available player. It's always the sort of team coming out of it. You, you fill the need, but it's with the best available player. Um, and time will tell maybe he is the best available player for them with what they need. But it did catch a lot of people. And, you know, there'd been the rumours about it's going to be a surprise pick. I don't think anybody had him as the name coming out at that point. So an interesting one. Again, I really feel for Daniel Jones going back to him as well. I think what a shame on the guy. You know, he's already written off. But actually, maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing because he can just sit behind Eli, not worry about it and go for it. But I think the point there is as well is because they had the 17 pick, he definitely would have been there at 17. That was what we were speaking to a Giants fan, and he said, "Which which team was going to take him?" You know, before before the seventeenth or even our second round pick. So I think that that was potentially a criticism levelled at that. I, one thing I did notice though in the draft, and it's a copycat league, and I, I see what you think of this in terms of an emerging trend. Seattle start off with a handful of picks. They've just paid the record fee, sixty odd million signing bonus, thirty five million a year. Now he's now set the bar for a new contract, so every other. QB that's coming yeah. up for that is going to look to you know reach that level. So what the, the you know and the and the, the Seattle front office I thought they did really well was they started off with a small amount of picks just kept gradually trading back and get more value and more value because ultimately if you pay a guy thirty five million a year that's a huge now part of your salary cap deducted for, and rightly so for your key man. But is that a trend now that's going to start coming into the league where people start building up draft capital more than they would have done because? Again, does that just then eradicate the middle class of free agents that we've seen with the collective bargain agreement? I don't know, but I think it might well be a trend as you go forward. Well, and we've seen that in recent years where some of the money getting chucked to these free agents is ridiculous at times. And you're like, gee, was Yeah, the talent coming through the colleges is getting better and better and better. And you are seeing more and more guys going straight in and make an instant impact. Yeah. You know, you look at some, and sorry to pick on one of your competitors, but you look at the dramatic impact that the Colts made by just picking up quality players last year. It was those players that went in and turned it right. You know, you can do it. Um, this isn't anything new for the Seahawks, though. They've been doing this for years. They have keep trading down, trading down, trading down. The only one that surprised me a little bit was them picking up DK Metcalf, which, to me, feels like a real boomer bust player in that he feels quite one-directional. He's got some ability but he's not really proven it he goes quite high in the grand scheme of it they lose pretty much Doug Baldwin who I think is now officially retired although yeah chatting about it he's the number one receiver pretty much is that not just a, an endemic example of a media darling if you watched any old Miss game last year he was not even the best wide receiver yeah. of the team he was an athletic freak I think it was a Daniel Jeremiah described him as the human Batman costume, yeah. and he was he, he, he was a great athlete, but his, his, his short shuttle time was great. So he he had, he had a strong skill set, but a limited skill set. And you, again, that was one of the videos that you know when Pete Carroll was on the phone to him, he says, "What took you so long, coach?" He said, "Well, we've got you now." But it was it was one of those guys that just got overinflated late on the process. There's sort of column inches to fill. Yeah. Okay, he had a great he had a great uh, forty time um, for that weight. Um, but yeah, I think I think he found his. You know, I think the league finds finds your place. You know, as as the draft board unfolds over the over yeah. three days. So it'd be for me, and it, again, the type of quarterback that Russell Wilson is, he's going to scramble around. If Metcalf just needs to bomb it down the field and then out muscle a cornerback somewhere down the far end, 
that does fit into yeah. the Russell Wilson lob the ball up and someone will come down with it. Jermaine Kers, Tyler Lockett, Doug Baldwin have all benefited from being able to do that. To be a success in Seattle, you've got to make something out of nothing. And actually, the physical attributes that he's got, the muscle, means that actually up against a maybe smaller cornerback, he can bully them to the point where he at least gives himself a slight edge, an opportunity there. But yeah, I agree. It, it just it felt like a bit of a funny one. But it's always so interesting because we're not in the draft rooms. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know what the schemes, what the plays are that are being drawn up for the following year. We don't know the direction. Right now, it's all ifs, buts, and maybes, and you've got to come away from it. But we'll kind of move on from this by just asking a little bit about who you think was a winner in this. Ultimately, who won the draft and who Well, I, I, I can tell you, I did. All right, okay. So... We talked about all these various players, Williams, Bosa, uh, you know, White, Allen, Hawkinson. There was only one person in our draft board that got them going in the right order, and that was me. Okay. okay? So I said Bosa would go, Williams would go, White would go, Allen would go, and Hawkinson would go. I wasn't, you know, I tried, tried to be edgy and not go with Kyler Murray at one, but that's why. So I, I'm claiming the moral victory, which for the Scottish award... I'm getting it because there is nothing better than a moral victory. So there's the explanation as to why I won the NFL draft for the NFL Scotland team. So just, uh, you and you were obviously abroad at this point, so I don't blame you for not seeing this, but the six of us involved with the NFL Scotland podcast, so Paul, Charles Parson, Gordon McGuinness, Ian Stephen, Jamie Bothwick and myself all picked through one through six. The scores on the board were I won with four right. So, uh, you know, I'm now showing you in the board here, but I obviously got four of them on the money. None of this happened to get them in the right order they came out. Charles Parson got three. Brilliant performance. Gordon, Ian and Jamie all managed to get two right. There's a big column of red underneath Paul's <laughs> name. I don't know about you, but um, nearly guessing the lottery numbers doesn't win you the millions. You've got to get them on the money. So Yeah, I think, I think in terms of some of the, the teams that, that have done really well, I think, out of this. You think of Washington, if you can get a star pass rusher and a quarterback in the first round, yeah. you've got to be delighted with that. I think as well, Buffalo, albeit you know much needed reinforcements, but to get Ed Oliver, who's you know potentially a, a sort of second coming of Aaron Donald, I don't think he's got quite got that ability, but he's certainly a similar style of player um, to play up the middle of your defense. Then to get you know Cody Ford in the second round, who was you know a you know a premier prospect, that you know it might the question was would it be tackle or guard, and that was why he fell. But you know those two teams, I think, have definitely got to be delighted. And then I think you see a lot of trades happen. And one trade that actually I wrote down at the time was that actually when there's actual mutual benefit. So if you think of the Steelers, I've not replaced Ryan Chizier. Yeah. Trade up to get Devin White. And then not only that, then Denver then used that capital to get a potential quarterback. Drew Locke, we'll wait and see where he yeah. goes. But then also to get the, the, the hometown prospect in Dalton Reisner, who's a very, very versatile offensive lineman guy who was a very impressive interview coming out. So again, that, they were just some of the, the ones that stuck out to me in terms of no, actually, teams coming out, but as we said, three years time, we'll, we'll tell you, we'll tell you the yeah. answer. Um, for me, the Redskins as well. I agree with that. I think picking up Dwayne Haskins is a really good need for them. Montez Sweat, there was a big question about his heart, but then actually that was all yeah. sort of said to be nothing. He looked really good. Um, picking up Bryce Love. Now, actually, obviously, last year not a great season for him, but there was so much Heisman chat about Bryce Love. If he can find any of that form. That's a potential big player for them. He's got a bit of time as well. Adrian Pearson's still going to be there. So he could just learn from someone who's done it and been one of the best. 
The late rounder for them is Kelvin, uh, Kelvin Harmon, the wide receiver, who was really high on a number of boards, but then dropped, 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 dropped. Um, and actually, I was watching it with a friend of mine who just was apoplectic at the fact that Car- uh, Harmon had fallen as far as he had. He couldn't understand it. What's going on? All these no-name wide receivers from... N- like schools I'd never states I'd never even heard of I'm convinced there's now 64 states in the US all these places um, so they've done really well there so yeah the, I think the Redskins have come out with that pretty strong Paul any winners for you other than yourself uh, well as I say well I've explained now our listeners understand why I won the draft that's fine <laughs> that's great now I think I think I think you've covered the teams that have done well I mean I tend to look at the teams that have done less well and I think simply because of the negative reaction we've no idea whether he's a player or not the Giants lost the PR battle of their draft. What you want from presenting your draft class to your supporters, to your fans, is for them to take a lift. And there's, interestingly, everybody in the the NFL.com drafted everybody a C or higher for the draft class, even the, the Giants. But I think if you were to ask Giants fans, they'd be disappointed. Everybody else can really point to something that's just that little bit positive. Be it the Bills, the line, even Cincinnati built a little bit that you perhaps weren't expecting them to manage to do. Uh, it comes as no surprise that there's a lot of noise coming out the NFC um, that Atlanta didn't have a particularly good draft. Again, I, I will put a little asterisk beside that and say that's coming from mainly Louisiana and some of the stuff <laughs> I've been reading. But th- there is concern there. In the same thing, in, in terms of that division, I think the Bucks. With Evan White, brilliant pickup for them. And I think Carolina going QB tells us a little bit that they're nervous about Cam. And I think that's quite an interesting one. I don't think you pull the trigger there unless you think there's a there is a definite problem and he's an upgrade on what you've got it back up at the moment. So it's quite interesting. So obviously when we're talking about winners and losers, though, it takes time to, to really understand this. This is something you've been talking about, Paul. This is tremendous. What what we decided to do, rather than go really in-depth player by player or, or, on the draft, is, is to have a look back and see what difference does two years make. Um, what were people saying in 2017 about the draft? So I'm going to run through some of the players with you. Now, there's hundreds and hundreds of responses to the drafts, but I went with USA Today, which is quite a reputable uh, paper. So, Miles Garrett was obviously drafted number one back in 2017 he was graded a a plus and there's absolutely no doubt but this is what i want to read to you the number two grade d minus analysis the bears followed up a horrendous trade with huge reach this player may vary will develop into a solid starter one day he's not a franchise changing player though and he's what you'd expect No, not from a second overall pick. The Bears passed up on a lot of defensive talent to take him. Of course, the young man out of North Carolina, Mitch Trubisky. D minus was the grade. (laughs) I think the question with him was a one-year starter, but just as Kyler Murray. So again, it just shows you in which way the media can kind of sway the public opinion at a national level about guys like that. Has has he necessarily set the league on fire? But his his, his team's winning. That's the bottom line out of that. His team is winning. So if if there's any hope for our young Giants friend, um, Daniel Jones, is you don't have to be much vaunted coming out of the draft. The press don't actually have to to love you. Solomon Thomas, defensive end Stanford, San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, he got an A-, and I think he's had a difficult year last year, personal reasons off off the field and things like that. So it's going to be a big year for him. 
the Jacksonville Jaguars went for Leonard Fournette. Now, you look at that now and you think, ah, it's just causing a little bit of trouble here and there. Corey Davis, wide receiver, West Michigan, Tennessee Titans and the Rams, C+. Terrell Lowe's potential, but this was a reach, I think we can agree. That was a reach. Uh, Jamal Adams, uh, safety, LSU, went to the Jets. That was liked at the time with a grade A. I'll just run through the top ten and then want to look at a couple of other things. Mike Williams, wide receiver, Los Angeles Chargers. Philip Rivers was supposed to be smiling after that one. Now, this is this is another one of my favourites. See if you can guess who this is. This player will make the Panthers' offence better. Like Darren Sproles, he'll make an impact on all four downs. But is he worth a number eight pick? I'm not so sure. You can get a rude, good running back in the later rounds. Dalvin Cook may end up being a better NFL running back, and he didn't even go in the first round. A D-plus for Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> can you see it? <laughs> At the time, coming out of it, it was... Yeah, yeah. I, I was higher on him than a D-plus, though. And I think that he maybe caught some people that the fact he went eight. Retrospectively, that is an A-plus. Yeah, absolutely. You know, really this, is. this is why you, you can't tell. Now, nine was John Ross, wide receiver out of Washington to the Bengals, yet to really do anything. If you're taking somebody in that top ten, you have got to nail it. And I think the steal of the draft, although interesting, again, grade C-. minus. Calling this player a project is a major understatement. He's nowhere near ready to play in the NFL. And honestly, he may never be between his inconsistent accuracy due to poor mechanics, his tendency to bail from clean pockets and his lack of field vision, he's going to leave as many big plays on the field as he creates. This was a risky pick. Mahomes. Absolutely. <laughs> but in, Patrick in, Mahomes. In some of that, I do think there is a truth. If you watch the, the Patriots uh, AFC Championship game, he did leave a lot on the field, but he did score is more than his fair share. Um, but when you come, again with McCaffrey, if you, if you come out, with, um, out of a, uh, out of school undersized, people are going to doubt you, yeah. uh, rightly or wrongly. Mahomes was always going to be, I think, one of these guys who was either the next, the next Brett Favre, or he was going to be, you know, a, a, a no-show um, at, the, at the next level. But again, he, he, he just shows an ability to kind of, well, like Kyler Murray, and I think that's what's giving Kyler Murray the number one this year is because he can throw off platform. He can different. You've got a baseball background, different types of throws that you don't see everybody making. So you can see he's transitioned to the next level. But what I would say about that list is that will definitely set a trend, and it has set a trend for not taking wide receivers high. Because if you look at that list, they're yeah. not they've not performed and they've not they've not taken their game to the next level. They had all the measurables, but it might not always translate that. And corner, I think, it's got to be the two hardest positions to try and transition to from college because the rules are different. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's possible. So if, if there are people out there thinking, our oh, team did this with the draft, two of the best players there, arguably, in that top ten, one had a D-plus and the other one had a C-minus. So you can't always tell. Now, Deshaun Watson went at 12 in that draft. You know, you know, he, he's come up and played. Uh, but just a couple of other things that then... That well, the commentary there that's in this one I think is fascinating as well. Finally get their quarterback of the future, the Texans, or so they think. I'm not so sure he'll ever develop into a top QB, but he'll be an improvement over what they've had in Houston over the last few years. But that's not saying a whole lot. The Clemson star needs to hit the ball deep more consistently and do a better job of reading defences. But I think, you know, coming into the... Maybe that was a, a, a true, but he's, he came in and did it right away. 
He did. I think the way in which they played was was unsustainable, yeah. and that was always going to catch up. Just like I think you'll see Mahomes' legal catch up, and the tape goes out. You know, there's a lot of smart, well-paid men in there watching film that are going to, you know, re-strategize and take away your strengths. You know, no more than sort of New England. Um, but again, I think the reading defenses that was his biggest flaw last season. So again, that was correct. So I think a lot of the commentary is is spot on. It's just how much. How well do the coaching staff put them in a position to mask their weaknesses? Yeah. That's got to be the one, that I think, the, the one. Do they put them in a position to succeed? And just as, as New England are the best of it, they don't necessarily take the most the, the most sought-after prospects, but they, they, they put them into a system, get their best out of them and, and get results. And I think to your point, Paul, though, it's a perfect example where what's come with you may be true, but isn't set in stone for what's going to happen to you in the future. Um, and I think that you know, as you look through the the 2019 draft and some of these players, I find yeah they're graded this way because that is exactly what they did and that is what the tape says. But that's not your future written for you, um, and it just shows you that you know Mitch Trubisky has gone on into the playoffs. Um, Patrick Mahomes went all the way to the championship game. Deshaun Watson has turned things around in Houston in a big way. Obviously, his injuries held him back a little bit. Um, Christian McCaffrey, what an absolute monster season he had. If you're a fantasy football player and you picked up Christian McCaffrey, then you're laughing. If you play in a PPR league, then good God, you basically won your league. Um, you know, it's it's absolutely... It's, it's, it's a moment in time now. You get given your grade, you got to ignore it, and you got to set your own story, and you go on from there. Absolutely. I mean, going through the second round of, of 2017, Dalvin Cook, if you look at running backs, Dalvin Cook went at 41. Joe Mixon went at 48. So, you know, two half-decent picks. Camaro was 67. Yeah. Uh, Kareem Hunt, until the problems that he encountered, was 86. Now, he made a massive impact. And, you know, so there's two third-rounders outperforming two second-rounders, which again proves it's it's not an exact science. Juju Smith-Schuster, number 62, second-round pick, late second-round pick for the Steelers, arguably, did exceptionally well. Um, in terms of the Houston Texan, Dante Foreman, Tory's Achilles. He yeah. had a break, breakout game. Tory's Achilles, and does a running back come from back from that injury? Perhaps not. And, and there's a third round pick on somebody who started well, and you think it's starting to show that promise, and all of a sudden, boom. Kenny Galladay, the Detroit Lions at pick ninety six, is a really good value pick in there as well. Uh, and again, shows you the depth of wide receiver, but a little bit later on. So I then went into rounds four and five and tried to find a player. That obviously got overlooked. Now your your most hyped, your highest part of the draft board is obviously one to three. That's where you expect your players. So, uh, round four, Green Bay Packers took Jamal Williams, running back. He's played in all thirty-two games. You know, so he's he's been not outstanding, not absolutely brilliant, but he's been there. Uh, and the one from round five, before you manage to point it out to me, will be George Kittle. Yep, a round five pick. Um, and he's having such a huge impact on things. So, I mean, he had, in four years at college, at Iowa, 730, uh, sorry, 737 yards and 10 touchdowns in four years. You know, obviously he didn't play in a huge amount of games, years one and two, three games each. Uh, years three and four was 10 and nine. But obviously he's had an absolute breakout, benefited from a number of different reasons in San Francisco, I think, as well. But even under under all three quarterbacks that he played with, he was an impact player and had gone on to be a great thing. So it, it's so true that the school, it's not just where you get drafted, it's almost the school that you go to has got so much of an impact as well. And that's where, actually, to the earlier point, 
It's about character and about fit and about what you can bring to it. It's not just about the numbers there because you can go read them. It's about how you actually do it. Um, and I think that George Kittle's a great example and will be one of these guys, if he keeps on his form, that will be talked about like Tom Brady, like Antonio Brown. Oh, how did they ever fall to this round? Well, you go and look at his numbers for college. Absolutely. Yeah. If anything, there's maybe a little bit of a reach in the fifth round based on what he did at college. Yeah. Stefan, sorry, Steph, yeah. Stefan Diggs as well. He's another guy who's an example of that, not in this draft, but just was not used at college in the same way that he was at the next level. And they just they found they found his niche in an offense, and he tur- he's turned into a pro blocker and pass catchers. So I mean, in terms of the Texans, Dylan Cole, undrafted, um, starting linebacker for the Texans. So he's come in and made a, you know. A little bit of play. You look at Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, Keelan Cole uh, led the 2017 Jaguars, so he came off to do there. Uh, Taysom Hill was undrafted. Initially went to the Packers, came to the Saints. He's been used everywhere for the Saints. Um, what Corey Clement, running back, Wisconsin, undrafted, won a Super Bowl. Yeah. It's possible. And th- and that's the good thing. It's possible. I mean, in terms of the the Colts as well. I mean, uh, Rio Gilberto Sanchez from Hawaii was the starting punter for the Colts as well. So there's great value to be had. Some some people ask me, you know, why do these American football teams put in such work and evaluate players they know they're never ever going to get? Well, sometimes you are going to get them because they might not be you know related as high in others. Sometimes you pick up in a trade like you know Taysom Hill and each really sign. So you've got to do your homework because you've got to see what the fit is. And yes, the league is full of picks one, two and three, but thereafter, it's a crapshoot. Yeah, I think it's over 20% of squads are made up by undrafted free agents. Dylan Cole being a great example yeah. of that. Um, just a really great athlete and a position, a smart football player, but he played at a small school, so was overlooked. And I remember when, when they signed him and he was in training camp and the first question was, how did this guy not get drafted? Um, you know, it was funny. It was an interesting draft that I think many ways you look back on it, there's a lot of stories about running backs and their character questions. Mm. But the one guy that I think that came out, and albeit again by luck because his teammate went on strike, was James Conner. He was a local prospect. He came back from cancer and he was a really sort of feel-good news story for that draft. Whereas the other guys, Joe Mixon et al., were... You know, we're, we're, you know, and Kareem Hunt, who's now you know may or may not be in the league, depending yeah. on how he goes. But the just guys just couldn't seize their opportunity and look after themselves off the field. So every year brings out you know a, a number of stories, which which you know again just comes back to making the league in the whole process. That's about nine months for every team. Um, it's just really interesting because ultimately you're either you know you might pick them up in free agency or you might be playing against them. So you want to have as much knowledge in all these guys as you can because it's to your advantage. So that's 46 minutes of conversation and I think in summary we're no wiser now than we were at the start of this. I think that's what we can take away. But there's one undrafted free agent from this class that we cannot skip beyond and that is of course our very own and good friend Jamie Gillen. Um, So I was in Inverness, his hometown, when he was signed to the Cleveland Browns as an undrafted free agent. And it wasn't a couple of days after, it was immediately after the draft. He was snapped up. The Scottish Hammer is in the building with Odell Beckham Jr., with Baker Mayfield, with Greedy Williams, who obviously went out there that we've seen. Uh, and what a great opportunity for Jamie. It must be, I mean, it, I mean, as, as a sports commentator, believe it or not, I hate cliches. Um, but it, in, in those terms, it, it is a dream come true. Because, you know, to walk in as an undrafted free agent, you will be changing in the same facility, you'll be on the same practice field as Obel, you know, Beckham Jr. I mean, that's just incredible. Baker Mayfield, one of the you know most famous faces, and Cleveland. Look at the games they've got you know in prime time this year. It's a big story. He's not just slipped off to some little team. 
whether he can make the team, well, I mean, we wish him well, yeah. and I think he'll, 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 it's the contacts that he'll make. You know, if he doesn't make it with Cleveland, there's nothing to say he won't be picked up somewhere along the line. He'll get other invites. It's a brilliant chance. Yeah, absolutely. And already he's been on the podium on Facebook Live. He talked about the fact that he had a private workout with the Browns and the 49ers. So it could have been a 49er. We obviously went punt in the fourth round. Oh, I would have been extra happy if he'd gone there, if he'd been in San Francisco. But, um, I mean, a brilliant opportunity. 20 of the 32 teams called asking about him. You know, there's obviously interest there. Again, another one, he definitely has benefited from the hype, the the story, uh, the fact that he burst the four balls. And I think he even admits that himself, you know. Um, the, the whole story about him getting picked up by the school is fascinating. You know, they... They'd lost their punter who'd committed and then withdrew. They were looking for one, put it on Facebook. A friend of his got in touch and said, here's a guy, here's his tape from Huddle. They then phoned and said, we'd like to offer you a scholarship. And he went, what division are you? Division one? Yep, send me the papers. Do you not want to know anymore? No, nope. just send me the papers. You know, he was saying on the podium that he had to look it up on the map to see where Arkansas was. He hadn't even heard of it as a state. It's a, it's a brown story. It's worked out so well for him. Um, we're reaching out to see if we can get him back on as well to, to have another chat to him. So, But now he's obviously attached to the team. Everything becomes that little bit more official and trickier to do. So we're working on that as we speak and we hope to be hearing from Jamie soon. But certainly, I think I echo the sentiments here when I say we wish you all the best, Jamie. We've got every confidence in you and we sure you're going to be a huge success what, what I thought watching his interview um, was he has a steely like confidence about a mass because he is quite a genuinely nice guy um, but you could see he's going up against Colquitt who's a you know a well established punter um, but as you said at that position you will more than likely play for two or three teams in your career so what yes. an opportunity he's got but he's not short of confidence and definitely not short of ability so no. good luck to him absolutely so as ever, we finish this podcast up with some of the latest news. We're going to kick off, first of all, with the NFL UK and the NFL announcing today the launch of the British NFL Academy. So I'll read this to you guys. This is just, it's hot off the press, so I'm just chatting there. I'm not sure if you're up to speed with it, but the NFL Academy is a unique program that's going to give aspiring young American football players uh, and outstanding athletes the chance to develop and skill develop their skills and knowledge sorry, of the game here in the UK. Uh, alongside elite coaching, athletes will study courses of their choice at Barnet and Southgate College. So a little bit like uh, a scholarship scheme within the States, but going to be here in the UK. Uh, there's going to be character development programs for students to give them the tools to be successful. Whatever pathway they take following the NFL Academy, they'll be given access to elite uh, training facilities, kit and equipment, as well as the opportunity to learn from players and coaches in the NFL. They've had a number of people sign up to be um, advocates and ambassadors for this, which is absolutely fascinating. Odell Beckham Jr. is someone who's committed to this. Um, there's a number Jerry Rice has committed to this. Um, there's obviously you've got Jay and Effie Abuya and Jack Crawford and all these sort of players are being linked to that Jay as well Jay apparently is from London yeah he is apparently so interesting I mean you talk about character development I mean it's in Barnet I mean that is character development isn't it? <laughs> sorry <laughs> he's Barnet. that was supposed to be funny don't, don't get back to this I think it's a great thing I mean yeah. it just shows how the game is evolving the game is changing I think you're seeing this in more and more sports is that they are going worldwide to find talent you know there's Australians creeping into more and more sports you're starting to see them look at the rugby players here um, you know basketball's obviously very European as well uh, Major League Baseball there's Aussies in there obviously a lot of the Central Americas so they are looking wider and wider for that 
Yeah, it's got to be a good thing. I think if people can, you know, either get into the game at another level or it leads to, you know, professional, you know, coaching or whatever it might be, if it gives people the foundation that they might not necessarily get your average high school up and down the UK, then it's got to be positive for the game development. So the one player that I forgot, or two players that I forgot to mention who have signed up to be part of the NFL Academy squad, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, which is a big name, but Patrick Mahomes as well. So they really have got some big names involved in this. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that's great. I mean, it's good for these players as well. It broadens their horizons also, and it probably doesn't do their CV any harm. No. The number one selling jersey in Germany, Juju Smith-Schuster. Really? Yeah. Just a random fact. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, I, think, I think you're starting to see that now. The league is pushing towards Germany. I'm surprised there's not been a game there yet. Um, they are really kind of up, up in their, their focus on it in Germany. So they obviously see that as another market because a lot of expats there through military connections, etc. So that's got to be an, you know the next one that's going to expand, I think, you know beyond beyond London. The next inevitable one. Yeah, it does feel like that. Um, on Odell Beckham, though, um, have you seen the picture of him in his kilt? Yes, and I can't unsee it. <laughs> <laughs> which would be the would be the answer to that one it was definitely different it was different and you know fair play to him for doing it um, it didn't have the sporing and for me it just the kilt without the sporing is not like it's not it's not quite right um, he needs to come over here come to the NFL Scotland event we'll we'll sort him out we'll, we'll, we'll tell him out absolutely so the Met Gala obviously not the place to be rocket in Edinburgh and you'll be laughing uh, I did I was laughing at the comments though the number of people in and around the Ohio area talking about him emasculating himself because he was wearing a skirt. I was like, come on, boys. It takes a special level of gentleman that can big up and wear the kilt and do it well. So I think that he'll look good in it. I think it would look better with the sporting. Uh, if I'm going to give you some feedback, Odell, I know you'll be listening, um, but fair play to him for donning the kilt. Uh, any connection to the fact that Jamie Gillen's there? Do you think he's heard Scottish Hammer and he wants a bit of that? Highly possible. You never know. You never know. Now, the next thing on the podcast, we've obviously got to blame Neil Reynolds, who we really appreciated coming on the podcast. Great interview you did with him, by the way. Um, the London tickets details aren't out yet, uh, so obviously we've got to blame Neil for that, yeah, because 100%. Neil takes the blame for everything uh, that's not quite going right with the NFL UK. So Neil, that's just a shout out for you. Yeah, he wouldn't want it any other way. No, absolutely, absolutely. Not. Interesting news coming out as well about the XFL. We talked a lot on this podcast about the AAF. We really hoped it would be a massive success. We uh, highlighted how important it was to have a television deal, which they eventually got. It was a little bit mishmash, but the television deal was there. We were able to see it here in the UK. Great. The XFL have come in really early with this one. They've actually signed up to four partners. So ABC, ESPN, uh, Fox Sports and FS1 um, are all going to be broadcasters uh, as part of their uh, deal. Uh, so obviously that's two Fox channels in there, ESPN, ABC. But they've already released the fixture TV schedule for the, the, the inaugural season, which is going to kick off in February, uh, week one, Saturday the 8th of February. Now, interestingly, if you look at the game, so it's two games on a Saturday, two games on a Sunday, every single week, right through until weeks nine and 10, where they actually are moving into Thursday night football. So there will be two Thursday night football games played on Thursday the 2nd of April, Thursday the 9th of April uh, on Fox, 8 p.m. Eastern time, but actually, away from that, for us in the UK, they're all relatively good times to watch. So the games are kicking off at 2 o'clock Eastern time and 5 o'clock Eastern time, Saturday and Sunday, meaning the early games are going to kick off for us at 7 o'clock and then again at 10 o'clock, which feels quite watchable, which is excellent. 
Um, you know, if this is going to work, then great. They've already highlighted that the playoffs will take place on the Saturday, April 18th, Sunday, April 19th, with a championship game due to be played on Sunday, April the 26th, which is the Sunday after the NFL draft in Vegas. I think it's got to be a good thing for the league. I think the the AAF was it was good. I think the the, the quality was, was was reasonable. I think in terms of the standard of play, it gives guys a second chance to get back into the league that you know may have fallen out through no fault of their own and injury. And again, Oliver Luck he's a he's a he's a pro administrator, so I think he'll definitely do a good job. And he's they've obviously got the backing. I think which was the, the difference between them and the AF, which was ultimately. Let it let it fail was they just didn't have that right financial backing. But if they've got the you know spread the risk over four TV partners, set themselves up well for success. And I think they might just be looking to you know, expand that as they go. If, if if they can get that sort of critical mass in their first few seasons, I think it's it's good for the game. And as far as, as far as some of the things we saw, I think they were saying that even the AAF games actually were uh, oversubscribed versus you know run viewership. They, yeah, yeah, they outperformed the NBA. Yeah, well, and and that's sensational. That's why I think ESPN, ABC. A fox have moved in because it will move the needle. They will sell advertising. Um, and the benefit that the XFL do have that the AAF don't is clearly money because Vince McMahon is not short of cash and he is not someone who is going to give up on something quickly. I think the original XFL was quite troubled, um, but he's learned from that. He's moved on. He is a different beast to even the man that ran that. Now, whatever your thoughts on Vince McMahon are um, and there's good and bad things can be said about him absolutely both but he is a shrewd businessman uh, and he has got the financial backing to make sure that it's a success and certainly you would like to think that there's little chance the XFL shafts its staff and players in the same way that the AAF ended up doing What I think was good as well I think that the NFL's got the, the, the probably the issue I think of over litigation at times in terms of rules and explanations and you know we know the famous call that they got it wrong at the end of the season, Paul. But I think it's in, term, in, in terms of that. I think what they did really well was was look to look to short shorten the breaks, um, speed up the, the passage of play. And I think if anybody's not into the game, that's their biggest criticism of the of the pace of it. Um, so if they can learn from what the AAF did um, and, and take it on another level, I think you know, good luck to them. So I think that's all the main stories at the moment. Is yeah, there? just one thing to finish on, and you know, I love to finish on yeah. the negative. Yes, you do. Um, Start and medium man finish on it. Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarlane are coming back for Monday Night Football. Oh dear. That is all but being confirmed. And wipe the slate clean. Forget last year with the mobile and, and everything went wrong with Jason Witten. I think you've got to give them a chance to settle in. It was always going to be hard replacing Gruden, I think, because he's a character. Yes. Um, but the, the contraption on the sideline, I don't think anybody, whoever thought of that, I think, you know, I don't know if they're again here this year, but obviously they felt uh, Jason Whitman was irreplaceable and they just went with a, with a team of two. Um, but it was poor coverage, I think, they, they, you know, they, they didn't necessarily have the same energy and, and same sort of intrigue, I think, that some commentators have. And there's a, va- a variance of them, always thinking, you know, Charles Davis on NFL Network's absolutely superb, very polished guy. But I just think Whitten, I think maybe he's, his heart was maybe still in the... Uh, Still in the game, but his head thought he should get in the broadcast and it didn't quite work out. Yeah, I mean, I felt for him. It didn't work for him. Um, I wouldn't have brought either back. I think they needed clean slate. I think they needed new graphics because it it almost had that slightly 70 cheesy, cheap look. I would like to see... I, I don't really know with what ESPN have done. Sunday night baseball is torture and Monday night football has been the worst 
um, and it really upsets me. So it's not the way I would have gone. Yeah, instantly. Even with their coverage of the draft, I thought was poor. I think you know, I remember being a number of places, and they said, "Can you put on NFL Network, please?" Because they just don't have the same access to the same. So there was a lot of college highlights, but not actually of the actual event. Um, and you saw a big contrast there between getting the, the Premier League and kind of satellite for coverage, and they were sort of lagging behind. Yeah. So ESPN Monday Night Team, all to prove. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that we don't need to prove, Paul, is that we can put on a party. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to this. We've already started to work on week one. Yep. Uh, Golf Tavern, Edinburgh. Get it in your diary, because we're going to be there. With hopefully, most of the expanded NFL Scotland team, we're going to have a little bit of fun, that's for sure. Yep. So Sunday, the 8th of September, get it booked in your diary to show commitment. That's my wedding anniversary. I've already had to get permission from Mrs. Hobbs <laughs> that I can go and watch American football with a pub full of drunken American football fans. She has said, okay, but it's going to cost me on Saturday. So please get that in the diary. It's going to be even bigger and better than last year. We can't wait. We're working on some really good stuff. So we thought we'd let you know that's definitely on. Get it in the diary. But that concludes everything then for episode 50. We hope you've enjoyed listening. And again, we'd love to hear your food feedback good and bad make sure that you follow us on twitter at scotland nfl and on facebook www.facebook.com forward slash scotland nfl thanks to you and for joining us we're not jealous in the slightest he was a nashville before the draft <laughs> thanks to all of you who've been listening sharing and chatting about the podcast we continue to see the numbers grow every week please do keep sharing the podcast with all your nfl friends and let us know what you think Congratulations have to go to Lewis Bell, who won the 2019 NFL Scotland Predict the Pick group on the NFL.com website. He also finished 272nd in the whole world with an impressive score of 1,430. There's a beanie hat on its way to Lewis right now. Well done, Lewis. Make sure you get the 8th of September blocked out in your diaries for week one. We'll share more of the specifics in the coming weeks, but you will not want to miss out. We'll be back next week to give some more detailed analysis on the draft to chat over all the latest news, item by item. But until then, bye for now.